I'm going to have you open up to Jude, to Jude, page 1216. In your Bibles, we've been working our way uh, through Jude. I tried so hard to do Jude 8 through 16 tonight, and well, I had it, but it was going to be about 82 minutes, so we'll just enjoy it. I don't think we're in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not going anywhere. We'll keep feasting on Jude, and we'll do verses 8 through 10 uh, together. So we'll read, read verses 8 through 10 tonight and take the next three verses next week. This is what we read, beginning at verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Thus far the reading of God's own word. I, I trust that uh, many of you uh, are familiar with the old cartoon Scooby-Doo. Who's familiar with the old cartoon Scooby-Doo? Maybe it's a new cartoon too. Good. Many, many people figured so. If you are familiar with Scooby-Doo, then you know that the really climactic scene uh, in every episode, and maybe in the movie as well, uh, is at the end when the bad guy is unmasked and his identity is revealed. Of course, the bad guy is always a character uh, you've met earlier in the episode, and so when the mask comes off, you either think, I knew it! I knew it was him the whole time! Or the mask comes off and you're like, what? I cannot believe she's the criminal, right? That's kind of how, how it goes, at least when you're a little kid. Well, uh, this is kind of <laughs> what happens in the middle of Jude's letter. In verse 4, Jude told us about certain people who crept into the church unnoticed and perverted the grace of God uh, into a license for immorality. And now in verses 8 through 16, which is really one, uh, one section, I guess, one theme, uh, Jude, Jude unmasks these people in order that we might recognize them even in our own day. And so while there is uh, much in these verses that is difficult to understand, especially when you get talking about uh, archangels disputing with devils about the body of Moses uh, and prophecies of Enoch, as we'll see later on, uh, we simply need to hear what Jude is saying about these certain people to grasp the relevance of the text for our own lives, all right? There's much here that's difficult to understand. We'll, we'll touch on some of it, but if we, if we can hear what Jude is saying about these people, right, the text will come home to us. Now, in these verses, Jude reveals six truths about the certain people who've crept into the church unnoticed. We're gonna look at the first two of those six truths tonight. We'll take three next week and then the final one uh, two weeks from now, all right? So in verses eight through 10, he reveals two main truths about these false teachers who've crept into the church unnoticed. Here's the first one. 
Jude tells us that these people are irreverent. These people are irreverent. This is what he writes about them in verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people, talking about the people of verse 4, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. The Greek translated glorious ones is literally glory. So the the Greek literally reads that these people blaspheme glory. But the church has generally understood this to be a reference to angels and has therefore translated it as glorious ones. The reason for this is because of 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter uh, 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, and the letter of Jude are, are very, very similar. They are so similar, in fact, that uh, scholars believe, and I think we would believe this as well if we looked at them, one had to take from the other in their writing. It's generally believed that Peter took from Jude. It's possible Jude took from Peter. We don't know for sure, but 2 Peter chapter 2 and the letter of Jude are very similar, okay? They say many of the same things in the same ways. And in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 10, we see this same phrase, blaspheme glory. And then Peter goes on to imply in verse 11 that this glory being blasphemed are angels, all right? And whenever we let Scripture interpret Scripture, as we're doing there, we're generally on safe ground. And so I think it's good for us to see Jude also as referring to angels when he talks about these false teachers blaspheming glory. They are blaspheming glorious ones. They're blaspheming angels. The question now becomes, all right, that's fine. How were these certain people blaspheming angels. And I think we get the answer to that in the next verse, verse 9. This is what we read in verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Jude here is, is, now, is now contrasting the behavior of the archangel Michael with the behavior of the false teachers. Of course, the question we want to know is, where does this story come from? <laughs> this is not a story found in Scripture, at least not prior to this, right? Scripture, scripture does not tell us back in the Old Testament about the archangel Michael disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. We've, we've never heard of anything like that before coming to Jude. And what many people believe is that Jude here is drawing from another apocryphal book, this one called The Assumption of Moses. We talked about apocryphal books last week, Sunday night, One Enoch was an apocryphal book we mentioned at that time. Jude's going to refer to one Enoch again down in verse 14. The assumption of Moses is a second, a different apocryphal book. And apocryphal books were books that the early church revered, the early church read, the early church learned from, 
but these books weren't included in the canon of Scripture for various reasons. They were deemed by the church to not be inspired in the way that the rest of the books of the Bible were. Anyway, the assumption of Moses says this. It says that when Moses died, the archangel Michael was sent by God to bury him. But the devil disputed Michael's right to do so because the devil said Moses had been a murderer. And because Moses was a murderer, his body belongs not to God, but to the devil. And as the story goes on, it tells us that even though Michael had every reason to be harsh with the devil, every reason, uh, Michael had every reason to call the devil all sorts of names, he didn't do it. Instead, what Michael did was simply leave the matter to the Lord. And Michael said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. May the Lord deal with you. That's the story as it's summarized from the assumption of Moses. Now again, that's not a story that we're familiar with. That is a story that Jude's readers were familiar with. I think Jude implies that in the way he uses it so freely here. The fact that Jude cites it here tells me, I don't know, it probably is a true story, which is interesting and maybe a a, a side tangent in its own right. Anyway, Jude here is clearly contrasting the behavior of the false teachers with the behavior of the archangel Michael. And if Michael refused to blaspheme the devil, if Michael refused to speak ill of the devil, then that makes us believe that the false teachers did in some way speak ill of the devil. The false teachers did in some way blaspheme the devil. They treated lightly the devil. The note in my Reformation study Bible says this, when warned of the danger of falling into the into the power of the spiritual forces of evil, the false teachers apparently mocked the power of the devil and his demons. Now that is a bit reading between the lines, but something like that seems to have been going on in Jude's day. The false teachers were warned about the, about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Perhaps they were told, like Paul tells us in his letter to Ephesians, to, to stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and, and they just sort of brushed it off. Perhaps they, 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 they mocked the devil in some way, shape, or form. So they were, they were irreverent. The things of God did not make them tremble as they ought. They did not believe and take serious those words of Peter, that your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and therefore you ought to be watchful. These false teachers in somehow, some way, they kind of poo-pooed that. They made a mockery or a joke of that. Now we might say, how can this be? But, but let's recognize that there are many in the church guilty of this same irreverence today. A 2009 survey by Barna. Now 2009, that's like, that's like 14 years ago, right? So it's, it's a little bit outdated. But, but in this 2009 survey by Barna, 
60% of professing Christians said they believed that Satan was not a living being, but simply a symbol of evil. Now again, 14 years ago, but I have a hard time believing we've grown much more orthodox in that regard over 14 years, right? So 60% of people in church 40 years ago said, we don't really think the devil is a living being. It's just sort of a symbol. In his 2019 Simply Put podcast through Ligonier Ministries, Barry Cooper said, if you want people to know that you're incredibly unsophisticated, tell them you believe in the existence of the devil. Did you get that? If you want people to believe that you're incredibly unsophisticated, tell them you believe in the existence of the devil. He goes on, most people in the West do not believe that Satan is a real living being. In fact, if a recent survey is anything to go by, this is in 2019, he must have had a a newer survey than I have. He says, if a recent survey is anything to go by, only a minority of professing Christians believe that the devil actually exists. Given the way that the devil is typically caricatured, this isn't surprising. Mention his name today and most of us immediately think of a cartoonish figure with red skin, black horns, and a rakish goatee, end quote, right? We, we see that. Even in our own day, the devil thought lightly of. The devil blasphemed. Right? So Judy D takes off the mask. He says that these false teachers, they're, they're irreverent. They treat lightly the things of God. They make serious Christian matters a joke. The second truth which Jude reveals to us in these verses is that these certain people are instinctive. So two eyes tonight, all right? Irreverent and instinctive. He writes, but these people blaspheme all that they don't understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So what is it that drives the false teachers? What is it that makes them behave as they do and teach the things they do? Jude says it's their instinct. It's their natural desire. That's what makes them that's what makes them defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. It's their, it's their instinct. Now here's the thing. We, we live in a world that calls us to live like Jude says these people are living. We live in a world that calls us to live instinctively and to, and to rely on our instincts. We hear it, right, in mantras all over our world today. Follow your heart. Who's heard that? We've all heard that. Be true to yourself. Right? Those are just colorful ways of telling you and even more, telling your children to live instinctively and to govern your life according to your feelings. This philosophy, it is, it is everywhere. You, Disney, Disney is the king of this philosophy. This is Disney's gospel, all right? Follow your heart. Does this sound familiar? It's funny how some distance makes everything seem so small, and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. 
It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So you know what I'm going to do? Let it go. Frozen, right? Or this one, my favorite movie. I love Moana. Okay, I do. It's humanistic garbage, really, but I still kind of love it. It's kind of weird. I don't know how to reconcile that. Moana says, I can lead with pride. I can make a strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along, but the voice inside sings a different song. What's wrong with me? That's Disney. You hear it in music too, right? Old song. That's not that old. Casey Musgraves, she, she, she was telling her high school students riding around Ottawa County in their big trucks to follow their arrow wherever it points. Lady Gaga, no one listens to her, do they? Rejoice in your truth because, baby, you were born this way. It's all the same. A call to live instinctively, to follow our hearts, to do what seems right to us. And yet here, because of these false teachers, Judas taking this philosophy head on, and he confronts it, and he exposes it for what it is. Notice what else he says about these people who live instinctively. He says they are like unreasoning animals. Many of you, I hope, are well aware of the behavior of animals. Animals do not use reason. When they are hungry, they eat. When they are tired, they sleep. When they want to mate, they mate. And if you're lucky during deer season, they get shot when they want to do it. When they're scared, they run away. They do not weigh the consequences of their actions. They don't use reason. They don't care about anyone else. They live for themselves. They live by their instincts. Jude says, so it is for all who follow their heart and live according to their feelings. They're like unreasoning animals. Remember that, people of God, those who follow their heart, those who live their own truth, they are not enlightened as the world would have you believe. These are not people who've who've figured it out. No, these are people who are no different than unreasoning animals following after the desires of their heart with no regard for consequences. These are people who eat when they want to eat, sleep when they want to sleep, have sex when they want to have sex, and run away when they're scared. No different than unreasoning animals. Don't you love, don't you love how God's word just just cuts, just cuts right through the lies of our world, right? It sounds so enlightened, it does. Follow your heart. Be who you are. Live out your truth. Jude's like, that's actually what animals do, actually. Jude says more. He says, he says, those who live this way destroy themselves. We see that right in the middle of verse 10. I'm reminded when I read that of Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's these people governed by their instincts. Their way seems right to them. They're following their heart. They're doing what seems good. The world praises them for it, but it leads to death. They're destroying themselves. The world says, follow your heart. Jude says, you want to follow your heart? You're going to follow your heart straight to hell. 
You want to live according to your instincts? Fine, but, but don't think you're somehow wise and enlightened because you're no different than, than the unreasoning white-tailed deer running across 104th Avenue right now with a car coming after it. Now Jude here, he's speaking about these false teachers who've crept into the church unnoticed and perverted the grace of God into a license for immorality. And he's telling us you know, what, what drives these people. He's helping us understand why they think and act the way they do. Right? They rely on their instincts. They follow their hearts. This was true in Jude's day. We must confess it's also true in our day, isn't it? Even in our day. There, 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 there's, there's people who, who profess faith in Christ but then teach and live out a morality that goes against God's word. And we might ask, why? What causes people to profess Christ and then to, to, to teach and to celebrate a sexual morality that goes against God's word? Uh, Jude says it's their sinful hearts. Jude says it's their fleshly lusts. It's their instincts. What they, what they see seems good, and so they roll with it, and they say it must be good. Right, and if you would, well, just, just case in point, I guess, right? How do professing Christians come to be proponents of same-sex marriage, right? There's people in the church, the Christian Reformed Church, who, are, who see nothing wrong, nothing sinful with same-sex marriage. They grew up where you did. They went to the schools you did. At one time, right, they would have probably profess to believe many of the same things you did. What causes people to, to sort of flip-flop on that issue? Well, often it goes like this. Actually, boy, I've never heard of it not going like this, in fact. It always goes like this from what I've heard. A professing Christian meets a gay man or a gay couple. That gay couple is kind and respectful and wonderful citizens in the community. And the professing Christian draws the conclusion that because this gay couple is kind and respectful and good citizens, certainly then their lifestyle cannot be offensive to God. But what is that person doing, drawing those conclusions? They're relying on their instincts. They're operating on the basis of what seems good to them. Well, I'm observing this, and this is what seems right to me, and therefore this is, this is what, what must be the truth. Right? That's how people flip-flop on this issue. They stop following God's word. They start following their hearts. They start relying on their instincts. Anyway, maybe it's more advantageous to us tonight not to just point fingers at those people who rely on their instincts, but, but it's to recognize that, that many of us also have a tendency to rely on our instincts, don't we? Many of us do know well, how to follow our hearts into sin. And so let me ask, might there be a place in your life where you are living right now like an unreasoning animal? Might there be a place in your life where you are living instinctively? Maybe it's in regards to, to sex. When you want, with who you want, no questions asked, like an unreasoning animal. Maybe it's in the area of money. Get as much as you can, as fast as you can, with no regard for others, like an unreasoning animal. Maybe it's in the area of, of, of alcohol. Drink as much as you can, as fast as you can, to feel as good as you can, without caring about the consequences, like an unreasoning animal. Maybe it's in regards to salvation. Do as much good as you can, 
in the time you have, hoping that God might find your work acceptable on the last day without any, any thought of the fact that your good works will be terribly insufficient in God's sight, and that your only hope of salvation is the gift of God in Jesus Christ. Where in your life are you living like an unreasoning animal? Where in your life are you following your heart rather than God's word? Where in your life are you trusting your instincts rather than your Savior? Wherever it is, I urge you this day to hear the words of your Savior, who does not call you to follow your heart, but instead says this to you in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And he says this to you in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, your own instincts. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Or, or, or this, for Matthew 16, This goes against our instincts in every way, doesn't it? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Isn't that what the false teachers in Jude's day wanted? They thought they could have Christ without his cross. They thought they could have salvation without repentance. They thought they could have the Savior without his word. They thought they could profess faith in Jesus while chasing the desires of their own sinful hearts. My friends, let's not be so foolish. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but whoever walks in wisdom will be delivered. Many in our day trust in their own mind. Scripture tells us who they are. By God's grace, let's be people who walk in wisdom. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we thank you again for your word. We give you thanks and praise for the way in which your word, written 2,000 years ago, speaks so poignantly and relevantly to the situation we find ourselves in today. Lord, help us uh, to be people uh, who don't follow our hearts, but who die to self and follow Jesus and live according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.